Tough Show. And it's been a busy news cycle this week. Uh, we've had the State of the Union address. We have Deflategate going on. The New England Patriots are a bunch of cheaters. The NFL is incompetent. I think we already knew that anyway. And then the Pope says, who needs birth control when you've got the tried and true rhythm method? Exiled by society, friends, lovers, and terrestrial radio. A guy with literally nothing left to lose. For 14 years, he's been telling it like it is. This is the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. It's just one of those days where there's so much going on, you're not even exactly sure where to get started. It's been a kind of a weird, crazy week. And oh, by the way, we're just nine days away from Super Bowl 49 right here. In the backyard of uh, the show here, right right out in Glendale. So, if you're wondering, no, I, I did not get a media credential. For some reason, they wouldn't give me one. Although, what's funny is I probably could get one because I know that uh, other... Yeah, they give them to the bloggers. They have people that just write blogs that are able to go in there and get a credential. So, I, I probably could have gotten one. It's like, who the hell are you? Um... Hi, uh, Zip Code Famous Michael Groff here. Um, are you guys uh, patriots? Are you guys just a bunch of cheaters? I mean, what's the deal? I mean, are you going to actually expect us to buy this crap that you didn't know? That the ball, that these footballs were uh, were not inflated properly? Like, who's actually buying that? Uh, now, before I get into all the stuff that I have to talk about or that I want to talk about, yeah, there's like two kind of categories for this show. There's stuff I want to talk about, which is most everything that we cover. And then there's stuff I, I kind of feel almost obligated to talk about just because it's in the news. It's out there. And I know there are a, a good section of you out there that are actually interested in this, even though you probably don't want to hear about it right now. Um, so I, I'm just going to point this out. This is the part of the show where, where we do the worthless 2016 election coverage because it's in the news. It's impossible to avoid despite my best efforts. And I see that uh, there's a poll out today. And this, I think this appeared in the Washington Post. Let me see. Yeah, it looks like it. And the Republicans, I don't know what's going on in their party right now, but if you're the Democrats, you've got to be cracking open champagne bottles already. You got to be going, you know what? We got this. This one's in the bag. It's, you can go out, spend the money like you already made it because this thing is already over. If this is the best the Republicans have to offer, it's done, folks. Um, I see there's a poll and um, Marco Rubio, who's the you know, Florida Senator Marco Rubio, he is climbing the ladder on this poll, on this popularity poll among Republican voters. Thing is, is that still at the top is good old Mitt Romney. Yes, the unhip, uncool dad that we talk about so many times on this show, he is at the top of the poll right now among Republican voters in popularity. Like, if half the people in the party, or a little under half the people in the party, are still touting this guy as their big hope to win an election, that just tells you kind of the direction, kind of the sad state that the party is in right now. And as a guy that doesn't have a horse in the race, I just think that it's kind of sad for this country. It's sad that we can't run candidates that are, are, are good guys that are also popular. Because the popular candidates, the ones that everybody hears about, because the Republicans and Democrats have a duopoly on the system, um, those two candidates, neither are, are any good. I mean, we know that. But, <laughs> I mean... You could do, you've got to be able to do better than Mitt Romney. I mean, come on. We have to be able to do better than that. And I realize Marco Rubio will probably overtake him in popularity. But it's not like Marco Rubio is the most amazing candidate that's ever run for office in history. He's better than Mitt Romney, but I would still put him somewhere, I don't know, somewhere still kind of on the, like, a little bit better than the same old thing and still never even going to be close enough, not in the ballpark, not even in the parking lot of the ballpark close enough to get my vote. That's for sure. Um, I almost choked right there on that. Ugh. 
speaking of that, I just have to, here's a quick story. So, you know, um, I hope you're not eating anything right now because this is just kind of weird. But uh, last Friday night, this is something that has happened to me. Well, this has never actually happened to me before, this part. Um, every once in a while, if I fall asleep on my back, I wake up kind of like choking. I don't know, like some saliva runs down my throat or gets into my lungs. Or I don't know what happens exactly, but I wake up choking, choking and gasping for air. And, um, you know, it's, it's really weird and it's freaked people out before. And, um, but I, that hasn't happened to me for a little while, but the other night I'm, I'm sound asleep and, um, I've actually been getting some pretty good sleep lately, uh, which is good. But the other night I wake up and I'm choking and it's like, I feel a little bit of a, a heartburn and I feel like I'm choking on my own stomach acid. I don't know. It's like welled up. And I'm, and I don't sleep weird. Like I don't sleep upside down or I'm, you know, it's not like I, I, but it's weird. And I, I couldn't get any air in and I'm feeling myself choking on stomach acid. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to go out like Jimi Hendrix. I'm going to choke, but you know, without the cool rock star attitude or anything, I'm just going to be a guy that dies in his kitchen. Cause you know, I spring up, I run, like I'm running out to my kitchen. Like I'm not even it's one of those things you don't even know exactly what you should do. You're just sort of starting to gasp for air and you feel as you're trying to breathe in more stomach acid is welling up. It's really disgusting. I know, but more acid is just like welling up into your throat. And, um, this has never happened to me before. I, this is the weirdest thing. And I didn't feel sick. I didn't eat anything weird. I had like a ham sandwich for dinner. Um, I didn't eat anything. I didn't drink beer or anything. I didn't have any weird stuff that day. I just, it was just the, the, I, I, I don't know. I had water and I had some Gatorade. I mean, I think that's the extent of my, my meals for most of the day. Um, I don't know. I might've had a, a, some, I don't know, a muffin for breakfast. So anyway, I'm sitting here in my kitchen and, um, I'm just about to pass out and suddenly just sort of like I cough and a little bit of this stuff just flies out and um, I'm able to just start barely getting in some air, but I'm still thinking to myself, there's this realization that I'm having for maybe 30 seconds that I'm going to pass out. I'm going to die on my own bile. <laughs> like how, how horrible a way to go is that? I mean, yes, if people die in their sleep from a heart attack, you know, you could say that's horrible, but that's kind of peaceful. I mean, relatively, maybe there's a surge of pain briefly and then you're just gone. But this is like, you know that it's happening and it's a really embarrassing way to go. And it's, and I'm feeling, by the way, it's stomach acid gets into my lungs. I'm breathing, like I, I, I my lungs are now burning. And um, for the rest of the night and the next day, my voice was all screwed up. I sounded horrible. Just really, really strange. And I thought, oh my God. And the, the other thing I always think is, oh my God, the voice, my voice, the one and only thing that I really have that's, you know, because I have a face for radio. I'm I'm not in incredible shape. Um, you know, the, the thing I do have is my voice. This is the thing that gets screwed up now. Boy, oh boy, is life grand. <laughs> that was what I was thinking. It just, in this moment, like in, in the moments afterwards, yeah, I'm, I was very happy to be alive I'm very glad I did not roll a seven choking on my own vomit or bile or whatever stomach acid because it wasn't it, it was just the weirdest thing. And I felt perfectly fine. I didn't have a fever. I didn't really have any heartburn per se. This just happened. I don't know. Sleep apnea. I don't know what it is. I really don't. I am seeing a doctor next week. So which is an unrelated thing, but. And, you know, one thing leads to, let me just, let me talk about that too. Since we're on the subject, since we're talking about medical stuff anyway. So I, um, I have a chronic condition. Okay. I have asthma. Asthma is a lung disease. It's chronic because I've had it for 30 something years and it's not showing any signs of going away. So I would call that a chronic lung disease. All right. Now, it's not like something where I can't go anywhere or do anything because of asthma. It's just one of those things. It's always there with you. Sometimes I get a tight chest and sometimes I need to take my rescue inhaler, whatever. The problem is if I don't have that medication, 
and I get a really severe asthma attack, I could die. I mean, it's just that simple. I'm a healthy guy in a lot of ways, but I do have, aside from the one time I wake up choking on my own stomach acid, I am actually a healthy person. All right. At least I think so. But I do have the, you know, I have asthma. And so I need this medication filled and I go through this same song and dance every few months where I somehow run out of refills for a chronic condition that's never going away and I have to call and beg my doctor to refill the prescriptions and stuff. Now, my regular doctor is a nice guy. He's, he's actually a really good dude and I don't want to say, I, I really don't want to trash the guy. But, and I know it's not really even his fault. This is the fault of the medical industry, which is such a joke. And I have such a distrust for the medical industry and for doctors in general because of situations, experiences that I've had with my family. I just don't have, our family does not have good luck when it comes to uh, the medical practice. All right. Let's just leave it at that for now. Because there are plenty of stories. I think I've told probably all of them on the air at one point over the years. But there is just uh, not a lot of luck to be had here. And so I, I'm out of this medication that I take. So I, I call the pharmacy and they say, you're out of refills. So I call my doctor and they say, well, we're not going to refill your prescription until you make an appointment. And it's like, really? Uh, you're not, you're going to hold me hostage until I make an appointment? Okay. Because, you know, I was only in there like eight months ago. It's not like anything has changed in eight months. What, are you going to go in there and say, you know, uh, Mike, you need to lose some weight. Yeah, I, I know. Okay, I got it. The last time I was in there or one of the last times I was in there, I actually, um, I think I fell asleep on my hand or something and pinched a nerve or I did something. I don't know. And so my hand, like part of my hand was numb. And I went into the doctor because that's what you do when part of your hand is numb. Like, well, you know, you, you lose some feeling in your fingers. You go, oh, hey, doctor, what's up? And this, I, I didn't get to see my regular doctor because, of course, he's booked up for like 10 months at a time. So I saw somebody who uh, had a medical certificate, I think, from Mumbai Medical Institute. And she looked at me and uh, I, I said, what's up? And she looked at it and goes, I don't know. I'm like, wow. So could you speculate? Do you have any idea what it is? No, you know, I really don't. I'm like, wow, you, you went to medical school. You actually... You did, what, four years of medical school or six years, and then you did residency, and you you actually have a certificate on your wall that says you are a medical doctor, and you supposedly know a lot about the human, but certainly more than the average Joe, me, would know, and the best explanation you can come up with for why it is I've suddenly lost some feeling in my hand is I don't know. And then when I ask you to speculate or maybe say, what do you think it could be? Give me some, make up stuff or just say stuff that's even unrelated. I don't even care. Just, you could say, oh, it's cavernous sinus thrombosis or it's Ludwig's angina or it's, well, you know, uh, cerebral hematoma. I mean, you could say anything and I would have to go, uh, uh, well, maybe it could be that. I mean, it doesn't, I don't know how it'd be related to the sinus cavity or a hemorrhaging brain, but hey, I mean, that's something. I don't know. It's a big person that can say, I don't know. I like it when people say, I don't know when they don't know. I respect that kind of honesty, except if I'm asking you to at least give me something. Well, do you think we should do x-rays? Nah, I don't think so. Thanks, Doc. Thanks, Doc. Oh, hey, that $20, that $20 copay? Yeah, that's money well spent. I don't know. I could have gone to my neighbor and asked. I could have gone to a five-year-old and asked for the same diagnosis. Fortunately, it just got better. Just like, this is this is why a lot of guys, especially, this is why a lot of guys just go, you know what, I'll just see if it gets better on its own. I should have done that. I should, But instead, I went, I said, you know, maybe I should go to the doctor. So this is why I, I also avoid doctor's appointments as much as possible, because I go in there, they say, oh, you're a little overweight. Oh, um, you your blood pressure is good. Your cholesterol is good. Everything's fine. All right, do, should, anything I should change? Eh, I don't know, maybe eat, a, eat one less burger. Okay, thanks. I'll let you know when there's a problem. Maybe it's, that's that's the thing. It's like, I don't know. Uh, the medical industry is, and then the red tape and all the bureaucracy. So I know it's not my doctor. I know that they can only do so many refills at a time. I understand that. Please don't write me and tell me that. I get it. Please don't tell me that 
you know, um, well, it's just standard procedure. Blah. I don't want to hear that because I don't care. I This is medication that I need or else I will die. So it's not changing. It has not changed for over 30 years. I have had asthma. It's not going anywhere. And yet I have to... I have to basically be blackmailed to come in for an appointment to have my... And the other thing, of course, they'll say is, hey, why don't you go see the pulmonologist? This is the other part that always gets me. So we do the same song and dance because they give me the breathing test and they go, oh, yeah, you know, you breathe, you know, 85% lung capacity or whatever. And um, now why don't you go see the pulmonologist? Because maybe there's some medication. And I said, listen, this is the only medication that works for me. I have tried literally... Every other medication that is out there that is FDA approved, I have probably at one point put into my body to try for asthma. I have tried Advair. I have tried Ventolin. I have tried Preventil. I have tried, I, I mean, the, the list is on and on and on of medications that I have tried. It's probably the as thick as a phone book. All right. Um, so I don't want, it's like, I don't need to go see a specialist to t for them to tell me, oh yeah, you have asthma and, um, you know, and then to write me a script for stuff for more pharmaceuticals to shove in my body. I I'm, I'm fine with what I'm taking right now. Thank you very much. All right. So just keep refilling my prescription. I will come in when I need you. That's how I view doctors. Now my dentist, my dentist is a good guy, but he's not on my insurance plan. See people that are not on my insurance plan are really good. My regular doctor is really good, but he's the only really good guy in that office, I think. And that's why you can't see him unless you get on a five-month waiting list. Literally, I think season tickets for the Giants, the, the season tickets for the New York Giants, their waiting list, which is like 20 years long, is probably shorter than the waiting list for my doctor. So I don't know. <laughs> the medical biz, and I'm, I'm really holding back. I'm trying not to go on like a... a a profanity lace tirade about it. I'm really kind of keeping it pretty simple. And I'm I'm okay with my insurance in a lot of ways. It's it's fine for many things, but um for this it's just a nightmare and I hate it. And I hate the regulations and all that stuff. So thank you for indulging me and listening to me rant about that. Because that is just something that I I do not understand. I will never understand it. Well, you know, they have to limit the amount of uh, refills that you can get because they don't want people to abuse the system. They don't want people to get uh, hooked on these things. And I can understand that for things like pain medications. All right, I get it. Pain meds, uh, Vicodin and Percocet and all that stuff. I get uh, opiate-based uh, kind of medications. I understand that. I know people get addicted to it. Hell, Rush Limbaugh got addicted to Oxycontin. So I understand that, okay? I get it. But this isn't about... A quality of life issue, okay? And and I know, no offense, people out there that take pain medication, but you won't die if you don't take your pain meds. It'll feel like you're going to die. It, it, it will be awful and agonizing and excruciating and torturous. So I'm not taking away from that. But, you know, if you don't get your pain meds for a couple of days, you'll live. On the other hand, if I don't get the asthma medication... I will not live. So to have me go through a rigmarole and, and run around um, and have to do all this stuff. And, you know, they go, well, all right. So they had to, I had to bargain with them to get a refill because I couldn't get into my doctor for a week. So I had to bargain with them for a refill pending my making an appointment. Like I'm a child. <laughs> all right. Well, if you do all your chores and... If um, if you mow the lawn, we'll give you your prescription refill. Okay? Okay, little Mikey? All right. Thanks a lot, Doc. Thanks for allowing me to live. I really do appreciate that. Bastards. And I just, I got to move past it. I have to keep going. All right. Uh, we'll get into the State of the Union address in just a little bit here. Uh, first, we'll probably take a break. Well, I want to pass this along, though. It's interesting. Um... So presidents going into their seventh year or presidents in their seventh year uh, just before their State of the Union address, there's approval ratings on all this. And uh, Obama actually is not, he does not have the worst approval rating of anybody. 
uh, going into his seventh year State of the Union address. Actually, that title was held by Harry Truman, who had a 23% approval rating going into uh, that seventh year State of the Union address. And then George W. Bush was next at 35%. But Obama, in third place, 45%. Ronald Reagan was at 48%. Clinton was up in the 60s. Eisenhower, 58%. So just kind of interesting stuff. Statistics. Uh, Obama's approval rating has been really, it's actually been pinballing between about 39 and 46% now for the last few weeks. It's kind of been radically fluctuating, which I don't know, maybe that's just a, a sign of kind of the the trend of the country. I, I think people just don't know what to think anymore. I don't think they're happy with the Republican Congress. I don't think they're happy with Obama. I don't think they're really, people are all that happy with anything right now. Um, even though Barack Obama said in his State of the Union address that, you know, things are going great and the shadow of, of fear or the shadow of whatever, he said something about the, the shadow of uh, the recession or whatever is past us. Um, no, it's really not, actually. So we'll talk about it. Just a couple of high points. I don't want to get too heavy into it, but there's a couple of things to get into and a whole lot more still coming up. The Michael Graff Show. You passive-aggressive bitch. This is... Knock it off. I don't like it any more than you do. The Michael Graff Show. this week is that the aphorism if you're not cheating you're not trying and it's only cheating if you get caught really applies what a joke of a league once again the nfl demonstrates its complete incompetence and just another black mark on the league under the watchful eye of commissioner roger goodell obviously you're all aware of the situation now with deflate gate with the New England Deflatriots, the Cheaters, and following their 45-7 trouncing of the Indianapolis Colts last Sunday in the AFC Championship game, uh, there was some question as to the validity of the footballs used by the New England Patriots in their offense. And this was actually raised after uh, Tom Brady threw an interception and one of the players uh, threw the ball to the equipment manager because, you know, intercepting a Tom Brady pass in the playoffs, it's a big thing, so you keep the game ball, all right? And uh, they uh, they went, well, but the equipment manager was like, hey, this, this football feels a little funny, feels a little weird. And this is not the first time that the Indianapolis Colts have suspected that the Patriots were up to something earlier this year on November 16th. Um, when they played uh, in a regular season game, they the Colts had suspicions about the Patriots using underinflated balls back then. Now, the rule in the NFL is, without getting too technical or nerdy about it, is that a football, a regulation football, must be inflated to between 12.5 to 13.5 pounds per square inch, okay? Now, we can debate that it's just a dumb, geeky rule. It's just a, a stupid thing, and it doesn't really make that much of a difference, whatever. But the Patriots had 11 of their 12 footballs were found to be inflated to below, to two pounds per square inch below the regulation. And you might say, well, what, what difference does that make? Who cares? Well, obviously, an underinflated football, if you've ever tried to throw a football, it's a little bit hard to do. I mean, I mean, it's amazing that quarterbacks are able to do what they what they can. Um, but an underinflated ball is easier to throw. It, it you can throw it further. It's easier to grip, hang on to. It's easier to catch, and so that's kind of the point. And any, I mean, 
it's just amazing that the Patriots are once again at the center of a controversy like this. Yes, the rules seems a little bit strange, but obviously there has to be some standardization to the ball. There has to be a standardization to the field. There has to be, you know, there have to be rules and constraints and, and uh, because otherwise teams would just run roughshod with everything, which I've already heard the argument this week as a brief aside. Everyone's already been saying, well, you know, it's the Patriots. Yeah, they might have cheated a little bit. They might have fudged on this a little bit, but it's not like the other 31 teams in the league don't do the same thing. People are literally using the Richard Nixon argument to defend the New England Patriots. You know, the old argument of, well, Richard Nixon was just like every other politician. He just got caught. Well, that doesn't make it okay. You, just because you violate rules, just because 95 other people are speeding and you're the guy that gets pulled over for doing 117 miles an hour doesn't mean that those other people weren't wrong. It just means that you're the guy that they decided to pull over and make an example out of. Yeah, you can say it's not fair, but you were still violating the rules. You were still doing something wrong. And so you got called out. You got caught. That's how it works. You can say it's a witch hunt, but I think if it were any other team other than the New England Patriots, I don't think it'd be that big of a deal. But this is an organization that does have a track record of cheating. You know, this goes back to Spygate when the New England Patriots literally recorded other teams' practices and walkthroughs. The St. Louis Rams, to this day, swear uh, that the New England Patriots stole their signals during the Super Bowl years ago. They they really believe that. And there's probably some pretty good reason to suspect that because, well, the Patriots would do that kind of thing. I mean, it was never proven. But the Spygate stuff, you know, that was something that Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, he had to shell out a fine, which I, I don't understand. I mean, what's the purpose of that? A billionaire owner having to pay $250,000 in fines or $500,000. What difference does that make? And Bill Belichick had to make a really heartfelt apology, one that was just oozing, dripping with sincerity. So I don't think it really, I think those kind of penalties are just silly. Um, nothing really bad happened to the Patriots as a result. Um, they didn't have to, nothing, nothing came of it is basically the bottom line, other than some, some slaps on the wrist, taps more like it. So this situation is really weird. Now, this exposes a lot of problems, not just that the Patriots are cheaters, but that the NFL is incompetent. For example, two hours and 15 minutes before the game, the footballs for each side, each side has their own sets of footballs, by the way, which is also weird. But OK, that's neither here nor there. I will get into that later, I guess. So the footballs are inspected by an official two hours, 15 minutes before game time. That already sends up a red flag. Like, why inspect two hours, 15 minutes before a game? I mean, that there's plenty of time for somebody to tamper with a football in two hours, 15 minutes. Why not inspect them as the game is starting? You know, maybe 10 minutes before kickoff or five minutes before kickoff and just have somebody there that has to watch them and whose responsibility it is to make sure that nobody tampers with the footballs. How about that? Um... Then, since there was already a suspicion that was raised by the Colts earlier this season, a documented, you know, a paper trail about the New England Patriots, why didn't they make double sure? Why didn't they double check the footballs? Just to make sure. Now, I, I guess they did check them again at halftime. They found that there were deflated balls, so they, they reinflated. And I, this is according to ESPN 810 in Kansas City, who has this part of the story, but then, after the game, they once again inspected the footballs and found that 11 of the 12 game balls used by the Patriots were deflated to under the standard, to 10.5 pounds per square inch, approximately. I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world, I guess, but it is still a violation of the rules. It's one of those things that teams will do anything. Well, the Patriots, at least we know, will do anything and everything to gain a competitive advantage. And I know, I'm not naive to think that other teams in the league don't do similar stuff or play a little fast and loose with the rules. Certainly. 
Remember the Indianapolis Colts, maybe it was about 10 years ago, got caught pumping artificial noise into their stadium. Uh, that was uh, like the, the CD that they used to pump in artificial noise broke and, and it was clearly heard on the telecast as being you know, screwed up. Um, so that's and that's a rule violation, too. I mean, there's a lot of teams that do things to to kind of hedge and fudge the rules. I understand that. So what you do is, is you have to penalize anybody that does that sort of thing. If this were an internationally sanctioned sport like the Olympics, if it were any other sport outside of the United States, any other sport outside of the NBA, MLB, NHL or NFL, um, like the Olympics or even the NCAA, the Patriots would be forced to vacate their wins. They would be forced to forfeit their AFC championship to the Colts, and the Colts would be the ones going to the Super Bowl. I'm not necessarily advocating that. However, I, I do think that other major sports institutions and other major sports outlets, the Olympics, even though I don't really care for the Olympics, that is the one area where they get it right. If they found out you cheated 10 years later, they will go back and strip you of your medals. They will go back and change the record books. This is where the Olympics get it right and major sports in the United States, major professional sports in the United States get it wrong. Um, so that's why, that's why you have to have this kind of policy. It just has to be a zero tolerance policy. You have to say, listen, you violate the rules. You are going to get a punishment for it, and it's going to be a severe one. And if you continue to violate the rules, guess what? You don't get to go to the playoffs anymore. Um, it, it, they have to start doing something to make rules mean something. Because why have a rule if when you violate it, when you break it, nothing bad happens? And I know you could probably sit there and make the argument, well, you know, uh, Robert Kraft has to shell out a check for half a million dollars or whatever. They have to pay a fine. Big deal. A billionaire paying half a million dollars in fines is like me going to the bar and buying a beer. It means absolutely nothing to my wallet. In fact, it's probably not even that significant. Oh, okay, half, half a billion. You know... It's like, you realize I made that half a billion dollars in the time I was writing this check, that, that half a mil, I just made it right back. Sorry, dude. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. No word, by the way, from the NFL on this as of yet. They have not released any sort of official comment. Uh, Tom Brady gave a press conference yesterday. That was a joke. He basically just denied everything. and just, oh, I, I don't know anything about it. I know nothing. I saw nothing. He of course, passed the buck to the equipment manager. First, they interview Bill Belichick, and he's like, ah, oh. Belichick passes it to Tom Brady. Tom Brady deflates it and passes it to the equipment manager. And he says, nah, it's got to, you know, you should probably ask the equipment manager about that. Well, I'm sure they're going to. But I will predict right now, I don't think the NFL is going to do anything significant whatsoever. I think a reasonable punishment, well, I think a reasonable punishment would just be to say, all right, the Colts get to go to the Super Bowl. That's me. But realistically speaking, I think the best course of action is Bill Belichick is suspended for the Super Bowl. Um, and I know the NFL won't do that either. That's not realistic, I guess, because they don't want to tarnish their big game. They don't want to tarnish that for um, for any, any more than it already is. They don't want to shed any more controversy on it. And um, I'm sure that, uh, you know, that's their big corporate event. It's the biggest sporting event on the calendar year anywhere. I mean, more than a billion people watch the Super Bowl. So what will probably or what should probably happen in the context of realism is Bill Belichick should be suspended for a couple of games at least starting next season. And if you want to make a meaningful fine, fine Robert Kraft $50 million. Take away draft picks. Take away the first and second round draft picks for the Patriots next year. Do that. I mean, it's not going to happen because Robert Kraft is probably the most powerful owner in the NFL. Roger Goodell is a puppet to the owners because he is uh, elected. It's a position. He's appointed to that position by the owners. And with, if Robert Kraft is the most powerful owner in the league, there's no way 
that Goodell is going to do anything to upset the apple car too much. I mean, he has to do something to make it look like he cares. So they're going to give him a, hey, he's like, listen, Rob, you know, I'm going to make you cut a check for 250000 But, you know, listen, I'll, I'll just slip it back to the end of the table. But, you know, we have to do this. I'm sorry, Rob, but, uh, you know, just to, just to look good, okay? Just reminds me of that Spygate situation where the tapes that the NFL had collected from the Patriots had mysteriously disappeared. Those tapes that showed the Patriots had been recording other teams' practices and walkthroughs and all this sort of thing. Those tapes mysteriously disappeared. And uh, no one knows whatever really happened to them. I'm sure they got, um, I'm sure they were treated with care, whatever happened. They absolutely never passed by a, a large magnet or they were never thrown in the East River or anything like that. Uh, it is so mafioso in, in so many ways, this league. It's, um, it's very, very strange. Um, never mind the integrity of the product is going down. And, and look, I know that the NFL has come down hard on other guys. Like, for example, Sean Payton, the coach of the Saints, was suspended for a year after Bounty Gate when his defensive coordinator uh, supposedly... I don't, we really don't have to say supposedly. I mean, the guy, they found, they said that he did it. So when he issued bounties for players to go injure uh, opponents. So that, and again, people said, well, that's rampant in the NFL as well. But the Saints were the only ones that were caught doing it. So Sean Payton, the head coach, who, I, who knows if he really had anything to do with it or not. He got suspended for a year. The defensive coordinator got suspended indefinitely. Of course, he's back in the league now. And some of those players that were involved in the uh, situation had multi-game suspensions. Well, maybe you do that here. Maybe you suspend Tom Brady. Maybe you suspend Bill Belichick. I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, it's a situation that uh, the NFL still has not yet commented on. Uh, we don't even know if they're really conducting much more of an investigation. Probably not leading up to the Super Bowl. This is the last thing that they wanted. And this is really the last thing that anybody wants. Although, it certainly generates interest in the Super Bowl, I guess, in some very bizarre way. So maybe for the NFL, they don't really care. It's, it's still generating conversation about their league, whether it's positive or negative. What's the old saying? Um, any publicity is good publicity. So we'll see. All right. Uh, other stuff here, because, you know, if I just keep talking about the cheaters, by the way, this just solidifies that I'll be rooting for the Seahawks. And I'm not even like the biggest Seahawks fan in the world or anything like that. Um, I'm not a Seahawks hater. It's just I'm kind of neutral. But, and I used to be kind of that way about the Patriots. I never really hated them. But then all this stuff, all these different allegations and different things have been happening. And I also get tired of seeing the same teams all the time. I'm tired of the Patriots. I'm just done with them. I'm done with Tom Brady. I'm done with the smugness. I'm done with Bill Belichick and his overconfidence, his, his ego. The Patriots a week earlier, I want to mention this too because we didn't get into this. A week earlier, the Patriots were accused of running a little fast and loose with the rules when it comes to uh, substitutions and the eligible receiver rule. I had no problem with that. The Baltimore Ravens were complaining because the Patriots were running uh, very unusual offensive schemes using four offensive linemen and then having wide receivers or tight ends line up as uh, as offensive linemen and then declaring themselves ineligible uh, as receivers. So, you know, it looked like you sent out more wide receivers than, you know, normal. It, it looked very confusing to the Ravens' defense. But that's not against the rules to do that. There's no violation there. That's just something that people don't generally do. It's something that nobody really thought to do. So it's just, in that case, it's the it's where the Ravens just got caught with their pants down and they didn't know how to deal with it. And then after the game, they, they whined and complained because they had that game won and they wound up losing because of those crazy offensive schemes that the Patriots ran. I don't have a problem with that. Doing something unusual, as long as it's within the confines of the rules, who cares if the other team isn't prepared for it? Doesn't matter. I'm not the ethics police here. I mean, if you want to do something unusual, as long as it's within the rules, who cares? And if the other team doesn't like it, tough. Just like teams that run up the score. Just like teams that are up 
42 to nothing with five minutes to go in the game and they're still throwing the ball. Yeah, you know, it, it might, it's, you're rubbing it in. Sure. But this is the professional leagues, folks. This is, you know, this is the NFL. This isn't high school. This isn't Pop Warner. Running up the score, if you don't like it, stop them. If you don't like it, play better defense. That's how that works. It's just when you violate the rules, you violate the integrity of the game. That's what I have a problem with. And that's why I don't... The Patriots just make me sick. And it's more controversy for the NFL, who already have had very controversial playoffs. And you know what's weird is all this controversy and most of the games in this postseason have been terrible. Most of them have been pretty one-sided. And even the more exciting game, one of the most exciting finishes to a game, the Green Bay-Seattle game uh, from a week ago, I mean, that game was actually pretty terrible for three quarters, actually for three and a half quarters. That game was pretty much unwatchable. It was terrible. There were terrible calls, terrible plays being made, um, terrible offense and defense on both sides of the ball. It was really not a very watchable game. The last six minutes of regulation, maybe six, seven minutes, and the overtime, that was exciting. Everything else was not. And that was probably the most exciting game in the postseason thus far. But, hey, Super Bowl 49, it's uh, it's nine days away. I'm still going to watch it. But now I'll, I'll have to go out and buy a, a Seahawks hat or something. I don't know. All right, uh, a few other things to get into. The State of the Union address was this week. President Obama, his seventh year in office, his seventh State of the Union address. I don't know. I, I don't want to get into it too much. It's a few days old, and I, I, I'm just kind of tired of analyzing these dumb State of the Union addresses because they really, at this point, they're just a stump speech. They're just sort of a, a they're more political than they are about the State of the Union. However, a couple of points. Uh, Barack Obama did mention the, once again, the, the tax situation, the tax code how there is a widening gap in the incomes between the rich and the poor and the middle class and all this. And it looks like that Obama wants to raise taxes once again. He wants to increase taxes on the upper 1% or so of wage earners in the country. Uh, not going to happen because there's a Republican Congress, so that'll never get pushed through. But it's something that he likely wants to see done. And... Um, the only problem I have with his tax proposal here is that whenever these tax increases come along, there's never really much consideration for the small business guy. You know, we're, we always talk about the middle class person, but we don't talk about the small business owner, the guy who is usually hurt the most by these things. The small business owner who was probably hurt the most by the Obamacare laws, the small business owner who is essentially the, the heart and soul of the middle class, if you will. You know, big corporations are always going to be there. They're always going to find a way to strive and survive and get through the rocky times. I mean, generally speaking. But the small businesses is sort of, it's, it's, the, it's the meat and potatoes, essentially. You know, the big corporation, that's the foundation, the the small businesses, that's that's the interior. That's the, the creamy filling. It's the delicious part. If well, however, whatever metaphor you want to use, that's that's where it's always at. And that's who seems to be hit by these various ridiculous pieces of legislation on both sides of the aisle. And um I don't know, once again, those people are the ones that are left out, not really addressed in this whole matter. Um Obama talked about, once again, this uh, the terror threat and a, a renewed terrorism threat and how we need to go back to Iraq, basically. Um, so we have to deal with um, you know more al-Qaeda and ISIS and all this other nonsense. Um, so that really is a big concern because, again, another president that wants to get involved in this unwinnable war on terror. And I know... Whenever I say that, people say, well, what do you say? We do nothing about it. But all we do when we go over there is stir the pot. All we've done 
as a country for the last, I don't even know how many, as long as I've been alive and certainly even before that, whenever we get involved in these affairs in other nations, whenever we decide who's going to be the leader, you know, like for example, we pretty much allowed the Ayatollah to take power in Iran. We are pretty much responsible uh, for Osama bin Laden and for the Taliban in Afghanistan because we helped them fight against the Russians. We got Saddam Hussein put into power, essentially. We helped him fight the Iranians, the same people that we put into power. We make terrible decisions. We got, uh, you know, uh, we, we helped Egypt here. You know, we pretty much got the Muslim Brotherhood put into power in um, in Egypt. And how did that turn out? Now the Muslim Brotherhood are illegal. They are they're banned in uh, Egypt. They had a big revolution a few years uh, a few years ago after you know the United States and the Obama administration got in there and got involved in that country. We cannot make a good decision to save our lives when it comes to foreign policy. So the best advice here is to stay out of it. Half of these terrorist groups that pop up are at least indirectly a result of our interference in complicated political matters and complicated theological slash religious matters. We clearly do not understand the implications and ramifications of interfering in the affairs of other cultures and other countries. This is a direct result of our own ignorance more than anything else. And I'm not saying the United States deserves what they get or that, you know, we, you know, it's our fault necessarily. I'm saying that when you go in and you stir up a hornet's nest, you better expect that you're going to get stung by some bees. That's what's going to happen. And that's what we've done. And I'm not saying that some of these people that were over there aren't bad people. Saddam Hussein was a horrific human being. Terrible person. Should have never been put in power in the first place. Mahmoud Ahmadinejad is a terrible person. Shouldn't be in power. But you know, that's because we, we pretty much are at fault for that. There are situations where we do have to intercede. World War II was a situation where we were sort of forced into getting involved. But there are lots of situations where we shouldn't have. And Vietnam is certainly one of them. You know, Libya is another one. I, I certainly was all fine and dandy with the first Gulf War where Saddam Hussein invaded another sovereign nation and the world, or at least 40-something countries in the world, decided to help out and go in there and take him out of there. Our only mistake in that was we did not depose him from power back then. We allowed him to regroup. We allowed him to sort of come back a little bit. You know, and then... We decide, well, oh, you know, under this guise of a war on terror, we're going to go in there. Why? Well, because, you know, he probably has some weapons of mass destruction. I mean, we used to give him these weapons, so he's probably still got some. I think people would have been a little bit better with it had we just said, yeah, you know, we're going to finish a job we should have done 12 years ago. We started it 12 years ago. We're going to finish it up. Just going to clean up that mess. But no, we did it under this false pretense of a war on terror. And then whenever a country really needs us and whenever they have a rally and whenever they want to show solidarity like the French did a week ago with that um, with that situation after they had a terrorist attack and they had people gather, what did we do in that mess? Well, we didn't show up. We weren't there for them. What, what a bunch of hypocrisy that is. So Obama in his State of the Union address mentioned the, the war on terror and that we're going to continue to involve ourselves in matters that we don't understand. And... Uh, we're just going to throw some bombs and lob some grenades and fire some shots. And we're going to hope that that makes everything better. You know, God forbid we, instead of shelling out trillions of dollars for troops, God forbid we maybe build some schools or, I mean, if we really want to make a difference, if we, if we have to be the world's police force, why can't we be, I don't know, um, an educational police, if you will. Why can't we go over there and instead of, destroying buildings, we turn those uh, tents and those shacks and shanties into schools. Why, um, I mean, I, I don't think we should be involved at all, but if we're going to be involved, why not, why not spread education? 
I don't know. I think educated cultures are generally better off than non-educated cultures. Non-educated cultures are usually ones that believe in backwards notions like, if you don't agree with us, we're just going to kill you. Whereas educated cultures usually think, eh, you know, maybe you're different from us, uh, but I guess we're not going to blow you up. That's the big difference. People that are uneducated generally believe in things like um, women are lesser beings and should be covered up and they should not have any voice or say in how society works. Lesser educated people think, well, um, we're going to throw stones at you because you said a bad word. That's less enlightened cultures. Then again, we're supposedly a more enlightened culture here in the U.S. and here we are invading other countries. So I don't know. I don't know why we can't just be more like Canada. I, <laughs> I mean, I don't like, there's some things about the Canadian government I don't like, but there are some things like the whole, hey, hey, uh, you know, let's just stay out of it, eh? That's a great idea. That is a great idea. Let's do that. All right, and speaking of religion, uh, the Pope. The Pope was out earlier this week. He's actually said, a, he's made a couple of interesting points this week that I want to touch on. First of all, he says uh, it's time for people to put down their iPhones and start talking and start being families again. And the lost art of conversation, which, of course, I'll actually agree with that. The Pope says something I agree with. Let's let's make a note of this on the calendar. Then the Pope said something else I agreed with as well, only to then continue talking and make me realize that the Catholic Church just can't find it with two hands and a flashlight. So the Pope goes, uh, he says, um, you know, people that have seven or eight or nine children are irresponsible. It's, it's bad. Overpopulation is a thing. You know, you need to think about these sorts of things. Totally agree with that. The Pope is absolutely right. It's something that I've said for years. Uh, it's one of the, you know, I, I think you know, have a, a child or two or three, but this whole idea of having seven or eight or nine kids because you've got some, I don't know, because there's some passages in various Bibles that say, um, you know, spread your children like fairy dust across the land or whatever it says. They're all blessings and you should provide as many blessings to the world as possible. No, there's enough blessings on the planet. All right, planet's full. All right, so let's settle down with the overpopulation. I agree with the Pope. Then he continues and says that he's not really in favor of birth control because the Catholic Church thinks that birth control is morally wrong. However, you don't need birth control because we have the tried and true rhythm method. Yes, he says, women should be in touch with their cycles. They should know when their cycles are and then have sex after they've ovulated. You know, you know when the right time is, you know when it's happened, you know, uh, after that period, that's, uh, no pun intended, that's when you should have um, sex because that's 100% effective. That's almost as good as pulling out, actually. So the Pope, once again, uh, it's like the rhythm method. If you really wanted to have this message, this would be a great time. I would have actually had a, some respect for this Pope had he said, well, you know, maybe it's time um, that you guys put on some condoms or take some birth control pills. You know, spermicide is not the devil. It is not the devil's instrument. It's actually something that's kind of needed, especially if I want to continue this message of the planet is full. Um, we're overpopulated. It's irresponsible to have seven, eight, nine kids. So by God, take a pill. But um, that's not going to be a position that they're going to warm up to. This Pope has made some interesting statements. The problem is they're still mired in other backwards uh 20 century old nonsense. So that's that's always the problem. You know, religion always, you know, religions make good points and then they keep talking and those points are immediately null and void. The rhythm method. Thanks, Pope. <laughs> Let's take a break and uh, regroup and then come back. We got a lot of other stuff still to get into. Um, on the show, including, you're going to want to listen up for this. If, you, if you're one of those people that's on the dating scene and you want to get out of it, boy, someone, someone has come up with a great way 
or at least a creative way to get out of a date that they didn't really want to go on in the first place. I mean, yeah, you could just say that you're not interested, but who wants to do that? Who wants to have honesty when you can come up with this excellent method? That's coming up and more. It's the zip code famous Michael Groff Show. Proving there's never a shortage of things to criticize. You're listening to the zip code famous Michael Groff Show. place on earth is going to give you diseases. No, I wasn't talking about that place. I was talking about Disneyland. But, you know, get your mind out of the gutter. Um, The extremely contagious measles virus is back. An outbreak that started in Disneyland is starting to sweep across the country. Yes. Measles was thought to have been eliminated 15 years ago in the United States, but it is back targeting those who have not been immunized. The outbreak that started in, uh, let's see, this started a few weeks ago in Disneyland. Now there's 75 cases of measles as of uh, the other day here. So this is, uh, this is becoming quite the, becoming quite the situation. Man, I hate the idea of going to these uh, amusement parks and going to all the... I don't even like being on the plane because I just know that somebody is on there and they have like pneumonia or they have something and I'm just going to get it. Um, and I don't even get sick very often, but I know whenever I'm in that kind of a situation, I'm, I'm either at uh, you know some giant gathering or I'm, <laughs> I'm on a plane or something. That's when you're going to get sick and it's always going to your destination. It's always when you're going to the vacation spot. It's always when you're going to the business place when the last thing you want is to get sick. You know, it sucks being sick at home, but it's even worse when you're sick on vacation or on a business trip. And that's always my luck is that I'm going to go on that business trip or vacation and I'm going to be the guy that gets it. Oh, well. Well, Let's see. Quote, it's scary to think that the happiest place on earth is infected with measles, one Disney employee said. For the Disney employees, knowing co-workers are infected is cause for concern. Measles is a 21-day incubation period, meaning people can travel far before they know that they're sick. Quote, we're seeing the resurgence of measles because a lot of the parents are not getting their children vaccinated, said Dr. Peter Andrews of Sinai Hospital. Dr. Andrews says that the problem is prime. In Maryland, all K-12 through students must get two shots of the measles vaccine. So this um, you know, some states, every state has different regulations and all this kind of stuff. But uh, the measles, uh, the measles making a big comeback. Um, and uh, so that's just another reason not to go to Disneyland, as if there aren't thousands of other reasons not to go. Now, this is one of those scary stories that I have had nightmares about legitimately. Um, being on an elevator... And the, you know, it's going up or down someplace. And then the the damn thing suddenly drops either. I don't know, a cable snaps someplace and the thing just plunges either. And you fall to your death or you you fall uh, several floors and get injured real bad. Or you're just hanging there and you're trapped. Well, that nightmare scenario happened to Greta Van Susteren the other day. Uh, That nightmare became reality when uh, the elevator car she was in 
along with several other individuals, dropped four floors without any warning at all. They were trapped for 10 frightening minutes, according to this report, and uh, they were finally able to pry the doors open and get free. Incidentally, this says, this is just kind of funny, if a lift is headed dramatically for the bottom, if, if you suddenly find yourself in an elevator car and it plunges, here's some advice for you for the day. Uh, the best thing to do is to lie flat on the floor. This incident happened in Hanoi as the Fox News Channel host, Reverend, who is this, Franklin Graham and several charity workers were headed to the offices uh, in the building, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. I can't imagine what it would be like to be on an elevator that suddenly just starts plummeting. And uh, I don't know if I'd have the wherewithal to just, oh, oh yeah, I, I remember. This is my elevator train. I remember it since I'm a host of this uh, big time show here. I did a story about this. I know, folks, elevator safety, lie down on the floor. I don't think anyone's going to do that. Now I'm just going to take the stairs everywhere I go. Yeah, it might be 23 stories up. And sure, I'll probably have a heart attack by floor 15. But I'd rather die going up the stairs knowing that I was trying to do the healthy thing than fall to my death and become pizza. I don't know. All right. Um, I don't know about any of you, but I'm sure we've all had the situation where you're either... You're, you're going out on a date and maybe you're having second thoughts about it. Maybe you want to extricate yourself from the situation or you're the guy or girl that's there and you're getting stood up or something is happening where the person calls or texts and provides a really lame excuse at the last possible minute. Maybe they even saw you and they discovered that, you know, you don't look like your pictures from the online dating site or, you know, you're. You're just a horrible mess or they just don't want to go through with it. They don't like confrontation. Whatever the case, they decide to offer up some lame excuse or do something stupid to get out of the date. Well, that happens. Now, I mean, God forbid somebody try honesty because that would be a new approach. But if you're not going to be honest and just tell someone, hey, I'm not really interested, you could try this method. And that is faking your own death. A British woman faked her own death to get out of a bad date. Let's see. According to this story, uh, this is in the uh, this is from the London. What's the mirror? I guess Anna Gray, twenty nine, from uh, Somerset. She shared the tale of how she got rid of a guy after a couple of mediocre dates. He was keen. She was not. She tried to let him down gently, but he didn't take the hint. He basically said, come on, let's let's give it one more try. So she's like, I don't really want to just say absolutely not. No way. Go to hell. So instead, I'm just going to fake my own death. That's what she did. The girl gets her sister to send a fake text claiming that she's in the hospital and can't receive visitors. Guy claims to be outside hospital and insists on popping in for a visit. It sounds like this guy is a little bit of a creeper. And it sounds like this woman is a horrific bitch. That's really what it sounds like. If you fake your own death to get out of a date rather than just being honest about something, you're pretty much a scumbag. And if you're a guy and you kind of get the sense that, well, look, guys are dumb. All right. This is rule number one for the ladies out there. Guys are dumb. Don't drop hints. Just be honest. Just say, you know what? I'm not really interested. Don't try to weave in some clever way of saying, well, you know, I'm going to be organizing my sock drawer the rest of the week. Um, I don't know if I'm really going to have time. Don't do that. Just say, hey, listen, dude, I think you're kind of creepy. I'm not really into you or whatever. Just give them a good reason. Give them an honest reason. Confrontation, whatever. I mean, it's you can do it over text message. You can do it the coward's way out. But um, I don't know. The dating scene, man, who wants to get involved in that anymore? Ugh. People are absolutely nuts. I, everyone has completely lost their mind in society. No one can just be honest. No one can be open. No one can be upfront about things. It's it's gotten to be um, it's gotten to be quite a weird scenario out there. All right, and then there's this from uh, the greater New York area. A woman saw countless crimes being committed near her property. Um, she had neighbors that 
she believed were running drugs at all hours of the day and night. Uh, she saw supposedly uh, exchanges of cash for drugs, narcotics, whatever. So she repeatedly called the police about the incidents going on. And finally, the police came out to the area and doing their due diligence, they arrested the woman who made the complaint calls. A 67-year-old woman who lives in Castle Hill Houses in the Bronx has filed a federal lawsuit on Friday slamming the NYPD for busting her for calling 311 too much. Arliss Cepeda calling the city hotline 44 times during a period of 15 months and phoned 911 twice. Cepeda says that uh, she's no crackpot. She's just an active resident who tried... Um, you know, she's tired of having uh, all these people walk by, all these suspected drug dealers. She's tired of seeing everything on Seward Avenue uh, go down uh, day and night. She's tired of the crime, the guns, and all that stuff. So, quote, I was calling, but no one ever did anything, Cepeda told the Daily News. Cepeda moved uh, into uh, the area uh, in November 2011, and her complaints of to building management fell on deaf ears, she said. So then she called 311 starting shortly thereafter. Most of the calls were complaints about drugs. However, others about excessive noise in the hallways and a few uh, broken elevators. Well, I don't know about broken elevators. I don't know if you call about that, but I do know that uh, if the noise complaints, it's legit. If you suspect someone, uh, you know, dealing drugs, I guess you would call about that. Who knows? Maybe this is an old bag that just decides that she's going to be Gladys Kravitz and spy on everybody and just call. And she thinks everybody's up to something. But I don't know. Um, it sounds like there was at least some legitimate crime going on here. Detective Theodore Staphados, um, who was a narcotics investigator at the time, called her on December 4th, 2012 to discuss the dialing habits. She says that he showed up at her door with two other officers. Cepeda says that she was told uh, that police searched an apartment above her and found no evidence of drug dealing and that she was told she was being arrested. Quote, I was handcuffed. I was handcuffed behind my back fighting back tears, and my neighbors saw me. I was so embarrassed. Oh, they're finally arresting that old bag. Well, now we can really deal these drugs. I think I've called 911 in my entire life a total of three times, maybe. And I realize she didn't dial 911 every time, but 44 times in the span of 15 months, that does seem, that does seem like a lot. But then if you think about it, if you're living in a crack house area, if you live in the kind of place I used to live when we first moved to Phoenix back in 1982, if you live over there, like that kind of a neighborhood, oh my God. Pretty much you have to call the police every day. There was a guy dead in a dumpster. Like I remember living in that apartment complex over there. If you're familiar with the Phoenix area over on 35th Avenue and Bethany Home Road, um, you know, there was a dead guy in <laughs> in a dumpster. There was there was people that would just shoot off pistols into the air. Um, there was vandalism. There was just constant something going on in that neighborhood, which really, looking back at it, I, I have to say my my parents might have possibly been able to make a slightly better decision as to where. Uh, you know, they could have raised a, uh, you know, five and a nine-year-old. Anyway, that's it. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Grav Show. Thanks so much for joining us. Gravshow at gmail.com. The email and PayPal address. MichaelGraff.com for everything else. Thanks for tuning in. Good night, everybody.